Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be episode number 302 and 303 of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, and it's going to be a part one and part two series with the founder of Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, Jason Harrison, and he is going to be answering direct one-on-one questions from uh, Travis and Brad Wiest, and these guys are two brothers that are going on a archery doll sheep uh, mountain caribou and moose hunt in the Northwest Territories and they've got a whole slew of questions uh, about gear uh, from head to toe, packs, boots, uh, everything that they're going to need for this hunt and I thought it would be good to get uh, them connected with Jason Harrison so he could answer their questions directly and I know you guys are going to find a lot of value in this episode so I want to encourage you to listen to both parts one and two to get the full meat of, uh, of, of the value here I want to thank you guys for your support of this podcast I also want to thank the sponsors of this podcast obviously Kuyu Ultralight Hunting is a great sponsor of this podcast Go Hunt Insider Lorenzo Sartini and his crew uh, are a great sponsor as well as Phonescope.com and The Outdoorsman's in Phoenix and you can go to the show notes to see uh, the, the promo code and the discounts that these companies are offering you guys the listeners and I want to thank you guys for supporting them and that's uh, what keeps this podcast free to you guys is your support and then they support me uh, and it, it's a it's a really good thing because it keeps the podcast free and I appreciate you guys' support so much loyal fans I get uh, all kinds of uh, great positive comments and I want to encourage you if you have any questions from this episode uh, that you feel like that did not get covered you can send me an email uh, Outdoors at gmail.com you can send me a direct message through Instagram um, my handle there is at jscottoutdoors and I will make sure to get those questions answered uh, also if you want to hear anybody particular on the podcast or if you have any questions any comments uh, you want to send me a photo of successful hunts or what have you uh, make sure to reach out I love hearing from you guys and um, let's get right to this episode before we do that I actually want to remind you that Kuyu World Tour uh, is going to be in Missoula Montana June 22nd through the 24th then Boise Idaho Idaho Falls Bozeman Denver Colorado Springs Omaha Kansas City Missouri Oklahoma City Dallas, Houston, Lubbock, September 7th through the 9th, Albuquerque, Grand Junction, Salt Lake City, and more cities. Uh, You can go to Kuyu.com and uh, find out where the Kuyu World Tour is going to be next. Uh, And I want to remind you that you can try on every single piece of gear, every size, uh, in the uh, Kuyu Mobile Showroom and uh, it's a it's just been an overwhelming success the feedback has been amazing from people that are uh, new customers and uh, existing customers that are able to go try on new products and see exactly what size they are and what have you so i would encourage you to find the city nearest you and and go check it out guys let's get right to this episode with jason harrison 
Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode. I've got Jason Harrison, the founder of Kuyu Ultralight Hunting on the line. And I also have the brothers, Travis and Brad Wiest from Texas uh, on the line. And uh, Travis and, and Brad own the Natural Caverns in San Antonio, Texas, just outside of San Antonio. And I became uh, acquainted with Travis uh, last year on a desert bighorn sheep hunt in Arizona. Travis had drawn uh, a tag in Unit 15D, and uh, Travis and Brad are, are both big hunters, but they're big archery hunters. And Travis uh, wanted to do the hunt with his bow, and he came out and got a nice 10-year-old ram with his bow. And um, we ha- had a great time. Brad was able to come and join us on the hunt, and uh, everything went great. And I was actually uh, invited to go to the Weast Farm uh, this spring and, and get to see the cavern and uh, the cave and, and uh, the ranch. Uh, and got to hunt some turkeys and saw a bunch of hogs. It was just a great time. And today we are going to have a podcast. Uh, Brad and Travis are actually going to Arctic Red River on a combo hunt and um, for doll sheep, mountain caribou, and moose, and um, they are kuyu. Uh, they they are kuyu junkies like myself, and uh, they had some <laughs> questions about some of the gear, and uh, they haven't been to Arctic Red River. And Jason, uh, uh, the founder of Kuyu, had, and and I thought it would make a great podcast to get everybody together, uh, so that the Weiss brothers could uh, talk to someone that's been there and done that, and. Uh, so we're going to have a great podcast, uh, guys, uh, I'll, I'll let you take it from here and I'll try and fill in where I can. Uh, Jason, uh, first and foremost, how are you doing? Uh, it seems like you've been real busy as of late, like always. And, um, there's a lot of new Kuyu gear coming out. Maybe you start out by, um, just tell me how things are going at Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Jay, things are great. We've had, a. a great first half of 2017 sales and and customers continue to that continue to support this brand are just fantastic we're not just growing here in the united states but internationally as well we've got some exciting new stuff uh happening last month with the the launch of our new mobile showroom which has had just an amazing response of the first three cities we hit Uh, we just in seattle last weekend and Line to get in the truck for three straight days. It was just, it was just so, so amazing to see the response to it and see everybody's reaction to the truck and be able to see and touch and feel our product in person. For those that have never made it to a trade show or to our stores, it's been a great experience. It was beyond what we anticipated as far as the response and, and the reaction of our customers, and we're just, we're just thrilled with that. And then we launch our new international website that will cover Canada and shipments into Europe uh, later this month. And that's something that we've been working on for a long time. We want to service those customers in those markets in a much better way. And so our products will be able to get to customers in Europe in three to five days with localized returns and exchanges and, and allow more people in those countries to experience Kuyu, which is something I'm really excited about. Um, so all those, all those initiatives and all those things we've been working on have kept me running at a million miles an hour, but it's what I love and, and never feels like work. 
Yeah, you know, I've been following the Kuyu World Tour and um, seeing the, the pictures on Instagram and, and uh, talked to Brendan a little bit. He just said it's just been a phenomenal response. And um, one question I would have for you before we get into the podcast in regards to, um, you know, the mobile showroom, as far as I understand, uh, every piece of Kuyu gear in every size is on the truck. So in other words, anybody that is interested uh, in in coming out, they're going to be able to touch it, feel it, try on and see exactly what size they are. But every you know, there's. It's not like it's you know half of what you have. Every piece of gear you have is there. It is, and we can help put together a skin to shell layering system. You can try it all on. We can put you in our packs. We have weight. You can test out our packs in a full system. I mean, get you totally dialed for any upcoming hunt you may have right there in person. And then we just fill out an order form. It ships to you the following week. It's a great way for people who haven't experienced our products or haven't seen everything that we make and be able to touch and feel and try it on, including like the tents and sleeping bags and the new boot line, it's a great chance for people to, to get in and feel it and test our products. I know you and I have talked before, so, Jason. Uh, I know we've talked before about one of the issues with going directly to the consumer is without having, you know, retail spaces where people could do that other than say, you know, SCI convention and some of the, you know, wild sheep shows and some of that. Um, I, I thought it was the store uh, here. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's a tough, it's the toughest side of our business for people. Yeah. And so by going to them uh, direct with the mobile showroom, it's just a phenomenal um, idea. And it's, I think it's just another, thank you. Another thing of you guys putting your foot forward to be customer first, you know? It, it's exactly what I did. A better way to serve our customer, to give them a better experience. And it gives us the flexibility and mobility that a, you know opening retail, actual physical retail stores, which is something we're considering as well, doesn't do is, is get the product out to multiple markets and allow more people to, to see and experience and feel their products. As you've seen at the trade shows, somebody that's never seen our products in person or hasn't become a Kuyu customer when they do see see our product line, they're able to feel our fabrics. They're able to look at our carbon fiber pack frames and feel how light our packs are or tents, whatever it is that we make. They see the difference instantly and they become a customer. So it's just giving that experience uh, to more people is the goal with it. For sure. I know you've got uh, some hunts um, that you're training for right now, and I'm sure the guys are going to be asking yep. you questions. But for the listeners uh, out there, uh, what, do you, what do you have going on here? For hunts coming well, the up. one that's that's got my attention right now is an upcoming stone sheep hunt up with uh, Art Thompson up at Gundahoo in north northern BC, and I've got the uh, you know the joy to take uh, Donald Trump Jr. with me on that hunt. So it'll be the two of us hunting together. Brendan's going to come to assist, and uh, so that's going to be a, an interesting hunt hunting with with Junior. We're, we're good friends, and it's a trip we planned uh, a couple years ago to hunt. He's never hunted stone sheep before, so. It's going to be, it'll be fun to spend time with him, spend time with him in the mountains versus uh, in New York or, or previously on the campaign trail. So I'm looking forward to it. I know he is too. Yeah, I'll bet that's going to be a fantastic hunt. I can't wait to see. Um, obviously, you guys will be taking your normal phenomenal photos and, and will the hunt be videoed as well? We will. We will bring camera. We don't bring an actual video cameraman on this trip, but we will have a video camera with us, and we're going to trade off self-shooting at Brendan and I are. Cool. So, yeah, we'll have video footage, and Paul Bride will be there. She does amazing, amazing imagery that he always does, so looking forward to it. Cool. So, well, uh, Travis, Brad, 
Yeah. How you guys doing? And we're doing doing great. It's uh, starting to feel like summertime here in Texas, so uh, we're looking That's forward it. to the Northwest Territories, McKenzie Mountains uh, weather that we'll get to experience in September. Careful, careful what you ask for. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we may get we may get that in spades, right? So you'll you'll see it all that time of year. Man, man, well, we are we're looking forward to picking your brain uh, on uh, on that and on on gear selection for it. But uh, man, hey. just a little a little intro to. To us, Jason, and first of all, man, we really appreciate the opportunity to uh, get to visit, get to visit with you and and Jay. Thanks for making making this happen. Um, yeah, my, my absolute ple- my absolute yeah. pleasure, guys. I mean, this is one of my favorite things to do with is to working with our customers to get them you know, set up for a trip and make sure that they maximize their experience while they while they're there. Well, it's it's awesome that you take the time to to do that. You know, with your with your customers, that's really cool. But uh, so Travis and I, Jay had mentioned uh, that uh, Natural Bridge Caverns uh, down here in Texas is our family business. So Travis and I are uh, cavemen, actually, and uh, we uh, we're third generation uh, managers of our family business. And uh, the cavern was discovered on our family's ranch, uh, and our family has uh, been on the land. Uh, since 1883, so uh, Travis and I are the the fifth generation uh, owners, and we still still ranch it uh, to this day. Um, Travis and I have been hunting all of our lives. We grew up hunting with our dad and, and hunting together. I think Jason, kind of like kind of like you, I think you you know started out hunting with your dad and and your yep. brother, and and so you know it's it's been a, a family tradition kind of a family thing for he and I and and uh, we're already introducing our children uh into into hunting and and they're they're crazy about it uh as we are uh Travis and I started out uh primarily rifle hunting whitetail uh in Texas and and then just uh kind of branched out from there we've been really hardcore bow hunters for gosh probably over 20 years now and uh, have hunted and taken tons of, of whitetail and hogs and you know what's traditional in Texas we've we've uh, bow hunted mule deer uh, we've we're uh, just die hard elk hunters love elk hunting uh, so much that we bought a ranch in Colorado uh, and we've got phenomenal elk hunting uh, at that place and, and love that um, we've hunted in Africa uh, South Africa. I've been to Tanzania, um, and uh, Travis and I. We've been to uh, Alaska, uh, moose and and uh, grizz hunting. And I was fortunate to take a, a uh, grizzly with my bow on that trip. Um, I've done some, some grizz hunting in British Columbia, um, and uh, so we, we've we've you know we've hunted a lot. We've got a lot of hunting experience. We have a lot of experience spot and stalk and harvesting animals with gun or with a bow. Uh, we've done a lot of do-it-yourself hunts, and it really hasn't been until kind of later in our hunting careers that we started, you know, taking the opportunity to go on some guided hunts and, and, mm-hmm. and be, with, be with guides. And, uh, um, and so um, as far as our experience backcountry hunting, it's uh, Travis and I both kind of consider ourselves 
uh, rookies on that. I've I've okay. um, done a few uh, total rookie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Travis is total rookie. So I've did, just real quick, Jason. I've I've been on two backpack hunts in BC for grizzly, and the longest time we were out was was four days, and uh, and uh, that trip we had planned on being out longer, but my my uh, guide who uh, probably weighs 140 pounds soaking wet, he's just was bone and muscle. And when he did the calorie calculations, he didn't quite get the calories calculated right for my um, six foot two at that time, probably 210 pounds. <laughs> and so we came off the mountain starving, but uh, um, so I've done a little bit, a little bit of back uh, backpack hunting and, uh, mm-hmm. but uh you know, no, nothing extensive like what Travis and I are, are about to experience uh, up there in the McKenzie's with Arctic Red. Um, Travis really did. He did most all the work organizing, you know, researching and, and lining up the hunt. And he's he's really awesome at, at doing that. Um, we are going to be uh, hunting from uh, where our trip is uh, 20 days of hunting. And we'll be up there September the 8th through the 27th. And, and, uh, so, you know, Tavis has, uh, he's told us that the daytime temps could range from 50 to 60 and nighttime could be 15 degrees to 30 degrees. But, uh, you know, we know how it is in the mountains and things can change. You never know what you're going to get served up. Um, oh, they're, they're guaranteed to change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. One thing you can count on on this trip and those dates. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that's what we were thinking, and so you know we have we and, and we didn't want to cover things that you know you guys have done on other podcasts, and we we've, we've watched your videos and and Brennan's too, and and so we didn't want to you know ask the exact same things, but we we know that just by being there at a different time of year can can mean that you'd probably make different choices in your in your preparation and your gear selection, and so we. You know, we thought that uh, it would be real pertinent to just get your advice on all of these things, um, you know, for our trip, for when we're going to be there and what we're going to be experiencing. Um, Tavis did tell us that we uh, would probably change locations. Um, yeah, once. I imagine. Yeah, maybe twice in the hunt. And he said we could even have like a moose bag packed if we wanted to have some different stuff they would drop to, to us or, or whenever we change locations going, you know, from uh, hunting doll sheep first, you know, we could, we could switch out some gear if we, if we needed to, if conditions warranted. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we were, you know, really kind of starting out hoping to, you know, it's awesome that you've been up there and, and hunted in the, in those mountains. And, and uh, so we want to, you know, want to hear about, um, your experiences there and um, and then how you know how the location and and the time of year can affect your gear choices and and uh, and then just something else to mention you know Travis and our brothers we we love hunting together we uh, you know as you know how this hunt goes we're we're pretty much travel buddies traveling up there and back and then while we're out hunting we're you know we'll be going off our separate ways with our our guides and maybe a couple ridges over but still it's it's just awesome to be able to go up and be in such a remote you know incredible beautiful uh place uh you know out there and and uh testing our our abilities pushing our bodies to the limit and and enduring the elements and you know we love love doing that in pursuit of incredible animals and 
just feel like it brings us closer to God. So we're we're really really looking forward to it. Well, Travis, I'm glad to see you're you're breaking yourself into backpack hunting with a starter hunt up in Arctic Red for 21 days. Yeah, you know, Jason, it's uh, I'm either going to come back <clears throat> absolutely loving it, or I may never go again. But I I really think it's going to be the first. <laughs> so uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm pretty confident that I'm gonna I'm gonna just absolutely love it. I can't wait to find out what the answer to that question is going to be. As I tell customers that that come into our store or I talk to on the phone that haven't been on a sheep hunt before, especially like a backpack style hunt, like this will be, you, there's not a lot of middle ground on it. You'll either in three days decide whether you this is something that you want to do the rest of your life and it's all you can think about and it consumes you every day or you'll never want to go again. There's not a lot of <laughs> middle ground on backpack sheep hunting up north that are that are in tough conditions like this. If you like yeah, the suffering, well, like you, you can appreciate uh, a lot of hard work and what that feeling is like after you accomplish your goal, it's there's nothing there's nothing that will come close to it. You guys will be um, you, that country up there, and the sheep, and that area is is second to none. It's absolutely amazing. I'm awesome. so excited! To, I'm so excited to find out uh, if I love it or hate it. <laughs> well, it sounds like from your hunting experience and how much you guys are devoted and committed to hunting that you guys will love it. There's nothing I think like it. So. Uh, yeah, that. Yeah, you brought up some. You brought up some good points. I mean, that that trip being a 21 day trip, the dates that you're that you'll be up there, um, you're going to have a wide range of conditions. You'll watch it go from fall into the start of winter in those dates because you're really. I mean, that area is the farthest north territory in the in the Mackenzie Mountains to hunt. So you're just mm-hmm. below the Arctic Circle. So you're going to see you're going to see a lot of beautiful changes that time of year from. They like said from fall into the start of winter as you finish up your hunt, and you're gonna you're gonna be able to see a, a lot of movement in game. You're gonna see a lot of things happening up there with the moose rut, with the caribou migration, and the movement of sheep out of the high country to the lower country, which creates a lot of opportunities. And I know in talking to Tavis in the past about that particular hunt and those dates, it's a great opportunity to, to find animals that they haven't found during the summer that they just never located. And uh-huh. um, they've had the chance to kill some really big sheep that time of year, and obviously some giant caribou and moose as well. They've got some tremendous moose hunting up there, and they just don't right. hunt moose. And they've got a huge area, and and they just don't harvest a lot of moose out of there. So the chance to kill something big and old is is in all species is really there for you guys. Um, and that's just a, a that's a hunt I've considered doing. Um, on several occasions, I've ne- I just never have gotten to a point where I could take off 21 days to go do it yet. But it's well, kind of on my list. So I'm in, Our I'm wives in, are not happy about it, Jason. Uh, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> they may be thrilled. They're just acting like they're disappointed. Yeah, I think what Tavis is mentioning about separating out gear for your moose hunt. Um, yeah. Separate from your sheep hunt makes sense because you're going to be up in the high country for sheep. You're also going to find the caribou, you know, at the same elevations you're finding sheep. You can also find them in lower elevations down in the valley bottoms. But in the same areas as you're hunting sheep, you'll probably end up shooting your caribou as well, typically. Okay. Unless unless you don't find one to shoot, or if you've had early weather that's pushed them down, um, which mm-hmm. you'll catch them on on their migration routes. But you're going to have a, the ability to hunt them either way. Uh, so I would imagine they're going to put you on sheep to begin with because that's going to be the toughest species to harvest, and you're going to want to spend the most amount of time you know, hunting sheep and, and making sure you get a ram. 
before you yep. go down and hunt. The, and then if you have the chance to kill a caribou in the area with the sheep, um, that's just a bonus. And then they'll, I would imagine they'll move you down into the area where the moose will be, and you'll probably catch um, caribou migrating through there as well, from my experience up there. I've been up there four times. And okay. It's, it's an it's incredible country. It's really huntable country, and the way the mountains are set up, there there's some steep steep mountains, but the elevation climbs from the valley bottoms to the peaks aren't undoable. Um, and the valley bottoms, what's great about that area of the Mackenzies is there's not a lot of brush and alders. You won't see Devil's Club or experience the stuff you've experienced in BC or yeah. even Alaska. It's really huntable stuff. You can move through that country. Um, pretty easily in consideration of other areas you can hunt sheep sheep in that you'll find in, in other locations. That's one of the great things about the Mackenzies is the terrain and, and then the, uh, you know, the latitude. There's, it's so far north that there's just not a lot of, you don't have to deal with the brush and the alders like you do in other areas further south. Which nice. I love. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so, I, you know, for, for the sheep portion of your hunt, you guys are really going to want to focus on um, being really smart about what you pack and mm-hmm. you know, putting together a comprehensive gear list for your sheep portion of your hunt. One of the things that I always recommend is building a gear list, and we have examples we can email to you. But the, the goal with the gear list is to make sure you have everything you need in your pack, obviously. But I, what I think is even more important is make sure you don't have anything you don't need and you don't overpack and really focus on keeping that pack weight down because you could be walking 10 to 12 hours a day in that country. And okay. every ounce, every pound, day in and day out, adds up. And so a gear list will keep you from overpacking. And you, in that country, that time of year, you'll be surprised at, at how little amount of gear you really need if you bring the right stuff. And you have a comprehensive layering system put together that will cover a range of conditions. And, um, but, you, you'll, you know, as I've seen with customers or I've seen – people at Norman Wells, which is the city you'll base out of before you fly into base camp, and going Mm -hmm. through people's packs for them, most people overpack. They think it's going to be really cold or they think they just need a lot more gear than than they actually need in that country because they just have this vision of everything frozen, everything super cold, and they they end up bringing way too much product. And Mm -hmm. that just weighs you down, fills up your pack, and and makes makes the the hunt difficult before you even step into the mountains. And so what I'd really try to focus on is is a, a, a narrow gear list um, using products that can have multi purposes within your system, and that allows you to kind of really focus on reducing the whole kit weight and the amount of kit that you'll have in your packs. And um, so, I mean, for, for me on, on that northern hunt, um, obviously you're going to want to have great base layers to choose from, either our, either a synthetic or a wool. It depends on what you prefer and what you're used to. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, have you guys, are you guys have our, our base layers? Yeah, Jason, we, so I, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but we are, we, we've been uh, fans of your, your gear from, well, really, from from uh, when you founded Sitka, Travis and I bought Sitka gear the very that very first year it came out and wore it on a on a Quebec uh, caribou hunt, and then you know wore that for years, and then we were customers the very first year that you rolled out Kuyu, and so we have been, I mean, literally, Travis and I almost own every 
piece you have. I mean, there's a few we don't, but uh, we're kind of addicted to it now. Um, but okay. we've been we've been using your gear and we've been you know hunting hard in it for a long, long time. So yeah, okay. we got a lot of experience. Good. I never. I never understood how my wife could be so giddy about clothes until like Kuyu came. Then all of a sudden, like now I get a package <laughs> in the mail, and she's like, "I," she's like, "You're you're like a little kid," and I'm like, "I know it's <laughs> terrible." Oh, thanks, you guys. I, I yeah. love hearing that. <laughs> yeah, I know. So hey, Jason, we've got so we've got a comprehensive gear list, um, and we've we've got we've got a, a, a comprehensive list of questions for you too about it. So Great. before we yeah, dive, maybe start there. Who, dive who's, into who's, who, yeah, who, where'd you get the gear list from? Well, I got I've, I've done a lot of research, and uh, you know we've been planning this trip for years, and uh, I booked okay. it two years ago, and so uh, I got a, a gear list from you guys, um, and uh, I've got I've researched gear lists on the internet. Uh, I've been a hunting fool member okay. for a long, long time. I've got Garth Great. Carter's gear list that he used, and I've looked at other gear lists and articles that they've come up with, and guys like uh, Brian Martin and, and and other folks, and so just you know kind of wherever I could, I've just kind of looked at looked at a lot of stuff and and done a lot of research and so but uh the uh, before be a great place to start list, so i wanted to ask you about hunt hunt prep and training great if that's okay please yeah so how do you i, I want to just i want to talk for a minute how you train and prepare for your hunts and you know and then you know i'm curious have you ever been on a hunt that you felt like you weren't prepared enough for i, I have yeah absolutely have how old are you guys if you don't mind me asking I'm 40 and Brad's 44. Okay. Yeah, so we're we're similar age range. I'm 45. Okay. Um, yeah. And I have and and you know training for me has changed over the years. When I was younger, as you guys have probably experienced, it didn't take as much mm-hmm. um to train in advance of a hunt as it does today. And the style and type of training I've had to continue to evolve as I've gotten older and um, really what's, what I've had to, to go to is more focused training around actually, you know, um, training for, for a backpack hunt, using a pack and weight in advance and really working mm-hmm. on the biomechanics and the muscle groups that a, carrying a pack weight, pack with weight, uh, will require on a hunt. When I was younger, I used to just come in and, and get good enough shape and throw a pack on and can go 10 days. And it really wasn't as important as it is today. And, okay. you know, for me, it's a, it, training is, is a year round event for me. And it changes throughout the year. My my goal is to come into a hunt and peak for that hunt, like a cyclist would do for a Tour de France. And mm-hmm. if you study cycling and training for cycling like I have, you realize that you can't just be in tip-top shape year-round or you'll burn yourself out and, and your system won't respond when it needs to for a big event. So my okay. training is focused for, for August every year. And, you know, I go through the off-season of, of continuing a cardio base coming out of season, but cutting it back, getting more back into strength training through the wintertime. And then as I get into the spring, start to layer in more cardio workouts. That includes running on a treadmill, trail running, and, um, and, also, some weight, and also weight training three to four days a week to continue to keep my strength. And then as I'm coming into this time of year, I'm less than 60 days out of my sheep hunt. My cardio training continues to increase. I do interval training one day to two days a week on a treadmill, on a hill workout that I do on the treadmill or outside. And then from about 60 days out, which I started doing back in towards the end of May, I start training with a pack and weight. 
And I don't advise mm-hmm. training with a pack and weight year round because it's just hard on your joints over time. Okay. Uh, but within 60 days of your hunt, I recommend starting to train with a pack and weight. And you can do that on a treadmill um, to build your base, but really you need to get outside in your boots. And, and I'll start with 50 pounds and work my way up to 90 pounds before, the, before I go on the hunt. To okay. really over, overload my legs with the a, with a heavier weights towards the end so that when I get in my 50, 40, 50-pound 50 pack, it feels light. And, yeah. um, and that just gives you you're really kind of um, just a mental advantage, too, when you throw on your pack and it seems light compared to what you've been training with prior to the hunt. Yeah. But I'll spend, okay. um, during the week, I'll spend uh, an hour, try to get a, at least a couple hours of of pack uh, with weight training on either a treadmill or outside. And then on the weekends, I'll try to set up, you know, back to back or even like on a Friday, Saturday and Sunday, three days in a row with heavy pack training and Mm -hmm. trying to get two to three hours in with a heavy pack on three consecutive days, try to mimic three hard days in the mountains. And then I'll recover on Mm -hmm. Monday back on Tuesday. I'll do an interval workout with a pack on on the treadmill um, and then spend a, and another another interval day on Thursday with a pack with weight on, and and then some easier days with packs and weights on the treadmill. But then back in on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with some longer events back to back, so your legs aren't recovered when you're going to the next day. Okay. And then, um, about a week before the hunt, I'll taper back down, let my muscles recover, let my legs and joints recover, and then I'm ready to go on the hunt. So I'm and as I get closer, I'm increasing weight. Okay. Each week, I'll, I'll throw so another back, five, back another down, ten pounds. Of, your back down period is pretty much just a week. Then, or, or in, uh, in that yeah. week, are you are you doing anything? Yeah, I'll do a couple easy cardio days without any pack weight, just to get my heart rate up and to sweat. I found that better for me. I've taken just a complete week off and then go into the hunt, and it kind of knocks my system. Because you've had so much okay. rest going into it. And you'll see on the travel, just the travel to get up there, you don't have a lot of activity. You're sitting around a lot. Mm-hmm. I found yeah. a, a day or two within that week, not hard, just to get your heart rate up and break a sweat, maybe an hour of cardio on an elliptical or on a mm-hmm. master, just to keep your, your system used to the cardio workout. And then, but nothing hard. Um, and then I'm better doing that than taking a week off prior to and having no activity. Okay. Gotcha. Do you do any kind of carb loading or, uh, prior to leaving for the trip? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ramp up on my carbs. I'll ramp up on my fats. I think fats are more important than carbs, personally. Okay. Um, so why, I, you know, why, Jason? a lot of red, a lot of red. Oh, fat will, fat carbs will burn. Fat will you'll store, and it has higher calories, and. Um, you want to try to load up on those you know, last couple of weeks before the hunt. I'll try to put on weight before the hunt because you're going to take yeah. that back off. Any fat stores you can get, um, you just want to juice your system with fats and carbs prior to uh, going in. And I think fats are now more important than carbs, and the research kind of points to that direction too. Jason, how much weight do you typically lose on a hunt like this? You know, it'll kind of depend on how in shape you are going into it, but you can lose uh-huh. a pound a day. Okay. Yeah. Now, 21 days, will you lose 21 pounds? Probably not. Your system will kind of start to get used <laughs> to it. But initially, you'll lose, you can lose a pound a day very easily. I mean, you, if you think about, you know, if for me, on a, if I'm training for an hour, I'll burn over 1,000 calories. 
and your time's out by a 10 or 12 hour day and yep. you can just start to run the math on your calorie deficit and there's just no way you're not going to lose a pound a day. I've, I know people that have gone in that aren't in great shape that lose, can lose two pounds a day. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Wow. Oh. So, 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 so for of, those guys, yeah, that could be like you, 40 pounds. <laughs> well, your body will, on a shorter hunt, you can lose, like on a 10-day hunt, you can lose, I know guys that lost 20 pounds. Wow. But on a longer hunt, your system will start to get used to it. Yeah. When you guys get down and start hunting the moose and, and potentially the caribou, that hunt won't be as difficult as hunting the sheep. And your calorie okay. burn will be a bit less. You'll get better food when you're probably hunting for moose. They'll do a food drop for you or several uh -huh. food drops. And you'll be able to cook better food and down in those areas. It's when you're up sheep hunting, you're living on a dehydrated food and just kind of snacking throughout the day in between those meals, and that's where you'll yeah. really lose the weight. Yeah, I got you. And then the, other, the other key thing for, for me for training is not only getting your legs in shape, but getting your feet in shape. Mm. And a lot of guys don't talk about that, but spending time in your boots and going outside and, and training in uh, uneven terrain purposely finding areas you can side hill in in your boots with heavy pack weight. And um, I also will, will, you know, my goal is to actually blister my feet. And I can do that through training in the middle of the day in hot weather hmm. with a heavy pack. And you throw your boots on, you throw your pack on and, and train in the heat. The heat will also increase your cardiovascular training as well because it makes it, you know, obviously much harder on your okay. system. And any way you can, my goal is to make my training harder than my hunt. And you obviously can't spend 10 hours, 12 hours a day training. So I try to maximize the intensity and the difficulty of my training in shorter periods. So heavier weights, walk faster than I normally would, do it in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, um, walk an uneven terrain. And the uneven terrain and the heat will blister your feet during training, which will build your calluses over time. And so you don't have any concerns about blisters in the mountains by doing that. It sounds kind of barbaric. My wife always looks at me every, every year and goes, Jesus, look at your feet. And, uh, <laughs> but it gives me that insurance that I don't have to worry about it when I'm there, which I've seen guys lose days of a hunt because their feet are so blistered. Yeah. You're just an uneven train. Your feet are going to be sweating. You're, you're, they're going to get wet. And, um, you know, that can lead to, to blisters. Jason, you, you go to the point where you actually, do, do you, I mean, when, when you say blistering your feet, do you go to the point where you know, okay, I'm about to develop blisters, or do you take it all the way until you rub, I mean, you know. Oh I've, I've, oh, I've gone, I'll take, if I'm going on a three-hour hike that day and I'm starting to get blisters, I'll just keep going. Really? Yeah. Okay. And I don't know a lot of people that do this. <laughs> People think I'm crazy about it, but um, uh -huh. yeah, I'll come back from a three-hour hike in the heat, and I'll have blisters on my toes and the back of my heels. Um, and it's weird; it doesn't happen, you know. And if I go train in the morning yeah. or when it's cooler, it happens with heat. And I think it's your feet swell; they get really yeah. sweaty, and they'll end up blistering. And you know, even with boots that are well broken in, that'll happen to me every year. Really? Okay. Huh. Jason, did I hear you? brought up a good subject. What do you do to uh, deal with blisters if you get one, you know, on a trip? I don't get them because I get them before and then call okay. I don't have to deal with them, right? And I, that's, that's why I do it. Um, you know, it, it, what I've done in the past is duct tape. It's about the only thing I can find that yeah. will 
stay on for a period of time because the blister care stuff they have out there, when you put your feet in those boots and you're getting that sweaty and covering that many miles, it just it ends up just balling up and, and coming off. And then it's a, then it can actually be a pain in your butt because down in your boots and you got to pull your boots off and your gaiters off. So, Jason, I, d- I do have one question. Um, was it you that said that you sometimes just soak your boots and go out with wet boots and wet socks and do that? Yep, I will. If I'm breaking a new pair of boots, I do that. I'll soak, okay. boot, soak my socks, throw it on, lace them down, and, and hike in them. It'll mm. stretch the boot a little bit. It also, I mean, that's the easiest way to get blisters. Wet feet, wet boots. Yeah. And just part of breaking in my boots, my socks, my feet prior to the hunt. Yeah. You're, you're, this is, I'm, I'm guessing this is probably done many, many months in advance of the trip. Uh, I'll do it. So my my trip is in August. I'll like this weekend is the first weekend I'll go blister my feet. So <laughs> okay. um, and then I'll do it again the following week. Usually two it takes two or three hikes like that, and then you know then it doesn't happen any longer. And you will you calibrate. pop those blisters, Jason, or will you just let them blister and leave them? If they're if they're clear, I leave them. If they're bloody, I pop them. Okay. Oh. And then well. if they're um, you know, if they're clear and they just get really big, sometimes I'll pop them over after a period of time. But I let them heal that way first, and then I'll pop them. Um, okay. Usually they just kind of go down on their own. Yeah. Well, good news, Travis. Yeah, we got we got enough time to start getting some blisters before our hunt. Yeah, I'm a, I'm scratching my head on this advice here. I'm not sure about that one, but. <laughs> well, you can wait and deal with it in the mountains. I mean, you're going to deal with them. I'd rather get it over with. <laughs> that's, it's, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to listen, but uh, man, it's good. crazy. That's a good point. Good point. Hey, Jason, let me switch gears and and uh, and and talk to you about food. So, you know, t- uh, Tavis has told us that you know they will provide all the food for us, but you know we've we've listened to your videos and and watched your you know food packing list and. And uh, it seems like you typically prefer to take your own food. When you hunt, when you've hunted with Arctic Red, have have you used their food, or have you have you taken your own? I, I always bring my own food everywhere I go. And I do okay. it, I do it for a couple reasons. First of all, I know what my body likes and what it's used to, and I'm always experimenting experimenting in the off season with different choices of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things you got to think about is you're going to go into a, the, the, the biggest cardiovascular event of your lifetimes. Okay. And you're going to rely on somebody else to provide you food that your, system's, you, that your system may or may not like during that event. And I know a lot of people that don't feel good on those hunts, that um, the food that's provided, they don't really care for. And if you don't like the food or love the choices of food when you start the hunt, you're going to hate it five days in when you're t- just totally um, maxed out because of the, the challenge, the you know, physical challenges of the hunt. And you'll get yeah. to the point where food doesn't even taste good, doesn't sound good because you're just so exhausted, and you almost have to kind of force yourself to eat. And if you don't like what they offer to you, and there's some food that turns your stomach or makes your stomach upset, which happens, then it's a really big challenge. I mean, it's, it's just a variable I like to take out as an option that, that may impact how I feel on the hunt by packing my own food. The other thing is the guides will not know how much you guys like to eat. 
They won't know how much food to bring. And the last thing they want to do is have the experience like you had where they don't bring enough. So typically they're going to overpack. Okay. To be careful, right? They're going to go on the, on the overpack side, and they're going to hand you a food bag that's going to weigh, you know, if you're going in for 10 days, it could weigh 30 pounds. Where I wow. pack for 10 days, I know I need two pounds of food a day, and my pack load is going to be 20 pounds, and it's going to be broken out into each meal. I'm going to have exactly what I know I need and exactly what I know I like to eat and what my body's used to because I, I eat it on a regular basis. And I've gotten away from bringing, you know, power bars or just cliff bars like I've done in the past and gone more to, like, regular types of foods, bagels and peanut butter and um, mm-hmm. whole, more whole foods than just bars or candy yeah. bars, which they'll typically pack because the sugar over time just, just gets – your stomach gets tired of it, doesn't respond to it well. and. Yeah. What I found is, is you know, by packing my own food and bringing you know, more normal types of food, that my body just responds better to it. I feel better. And you know, a big key to this thing is the mental aspect of, of the trip. It's going in totally prepared physically with the right equipment and gear, and then so many people forget about the food aspect and nutrition during that, that, that event. And it's as important as anything. And I just don't like to risk it on the guides being able to provide what I like. Yeah, they won't, and they're going to overpack it. Yep, gotcha. You'd recommend that we 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 test we test different foods to make to kind of find out what backcountry type foods find out what we like. You have you have a great food video on your website, Jason. Brad and I both watched it, and it's really really good and very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I spent. I mean, that's years and years and years of working on food, and I'm always working on my menu and looking at calorie counts, calorie per ounces. Uh, maximizing, you know, the fats and the calories per ounce on food to try to, to try to maximize how many calories I can get out of two pounds is kind of the goal, right, every year. Yeah. Okay. So that video will give you a lot of insight to how I pack and what I bring and what's worked for me in the past and how I've refined that over, you know, three decades of backpack hunting. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense, Jason. And, you know, if, if we were just going to be out for five days, I mean, you can pretty much kind of tough through – eating whatever, but, uh, you know, as long as Travis and I are going to be out in the mountains, um, that's, you know, we, we can get really tired of what, what the guides provide, and it's really important that we have the right amount of calories and, and things be as, you know, as perfect as can be. So, Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would recommend maybe for that long of a trip, you, you pack for, I mean, I would do the, the, your own food for the sheep portion of that hunt, and the moose portion of the hunt, they're going to fly in good food. You're not going to be as remote as you are for the sheep. And uh, when they move you, I'm sure they're going to load you up with food. And you probably won't be moving that much where you're moose hunting just because you've got to get the moose out. And you probably would be fine with what they provide you for that portion of your hunt. But for the sheep portion, I would definitely recommend bringing your own, your own food if you guys are up for putting the menu together. Yeah, that sounds great. Sounds like great advice. Gotcha. Yeah, well, that. Yeah, and, that, and then if that's, you know, maybe we just have to take, you know, our own food for 10 days or, or yeah. you know, not, not the entire time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Bring a, a 10 to 12 day, um, you know, your own food for 10 to 12 days of the hunt for the sheep. Yeah, that, that makes sense. What about, what about supplements, um, Jason, so I, I I think on your video you take a hydrate and recover, and, Tra- and Travis and I are big fans of the we we like the Wilderness Athlete products. We we use the the multivitamins and the hydrate and recovers and all that 
and that stuff. Um, do and do you just take one hydrate and recover per day, and do you, do you take multivitamins with you? What supplements and stuff like that do you take on a hunt? Yeah, I'll I'll bring my multivitamins, uh, and I'll take those in the morning. I bring a hydrate and recover, and I'll drink that at night before I go to sleep. And I just bring one per day. You might bring two, just depending on how much of that you like to drink. I don't put it in my hydration bladder for the day because it makes it hard to clean out. But I'll bring a, like I said, a hydrate and recover, and I'll drink that um, at night after after or with my meal. Yeah. Well, I you know from experience, I I get typically will get cramps my first night, you know, in the mountains at high altitude if I've really, you know, been exerting myself hard that day. And it's, it, I swear, it's like that hydrate recover is a, it's a miracle drink for me for making cramps go away. Yep, I have a tendency to cramp as well. I've always, you know, through my athletic career and in hunting. Um, yeah, I've, I've dealt with that too, and it does help. Yeah. What about uh, what about water purification up up there, Jason? Um, did, when you went, did you take anything for water purification, or is the is the water okay up there? When I hunt north, I never bring anything to filter water. If I'm hunting lower forty eight, I always filter my water. I've never had a problem up north, and or needed to filter water. I've always been able to drink right out of the streams, and I had no issues. Is that common, Jason? That's, that's me. I. It, it, it seems to be. I know some people that have gotten Giardia on northern trips, um, but it, it's, I don't hear about it a lot, and I've never had the need to or ever had that experience up there. And I've never filtered. So it's kind of a, you know, if it's something you're really, really worried about, you know, you certainly could bring a filter. The guides won't have one because they, they don't ever need them up there, and I've okay. never worried about it. Yeah. Okay. Travis, I think to have us... Tavis told us that they don't worry about it, and yeah, his guides don't use it, so that you know that, that matches we up. Have hundreds and th- if not thousands of customers are going on these types of trips, and I rarely hear about somebody getting jarred up north. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's if, a, if it that's was a, a problem, huge weight we certainly would. Right there. Not having to yeah, get it, you know, pack a bunch of water or pack filtration system. Yeah. There's water. Every, I mean, access to water is absolutely no problem up there. Yep. How much, water, how much water would you carry? Like typically, you know, would you carry your full full hydration bottle, or would you carry it partially full since you know you could get water everywhere? I like to. I just fill mine up in the morning, and I carry this our three liter. Okay. And that way, I don't have to stop to refill um, and you know drop my pack and get out you know get it out of my pack. You certainly don't need to carry that much water. You will be um, crossing lots of rivers. One of the things I'd probably recommend is bringing like a Nalgene type of bottle. And putting it on your in your side, you know, somewhere that's easy to access off your pack, and it's typically what the guides will do. And then when they stop to stream, they'll fill it up and drink out of it. I okay. just like to sip on hydration throughout the day, and then I'll bring an analgene bottle to drink out of at night, um, and then keep it in my um, side pouch of my pack. I can grab and fill out of a stream if I need to. And yeah. if you had a problem with your bladder, you've got another water water container to use. And you, you can use that then to mix your hydrate recovers too. Exactly. Yep. Okay. And, and try not to mix up your pee bottle with your drinking bottle. Well, you only do that once. You hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Highly recommended pee bottle. Yeah, I, I thought I, I saw that on one of your videos, and I thought that was ingenious. Yeah. So. 
Oh yeah. 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 Actually, Paul Bride, my photographer, that's shot you know so much in the outdoor world and and, and climbing and mountaineering, and he's the one that introduced me to the, the miracle of a pee bottle not having to get out of your sleeping bag at night. And once you once you use one, you'll never go back to not going to the mountains with <laughs> one. <laughs> Especially in the middle of a storm. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you don't mind, let's switch gears again, and I want to talk about shelters. Um, you know, this is sure. another another thing. That, you know, typically Arctic Red provides all the shelters. Um, I know from watching your videos and also listening to Brendan, his podcast, you know, you guys like to take your own shelters. You know, I'm just curious. I mean, I think I know what you're going to say, but I kind of want to, want to cover it anyway. You know, why you do that. Um, and, and maybe you could talk about some of the pros and cons of using your own shelter versus depending on the guide for shelters, obviously I guess weight savings is being one of the main things that would be a pro in sharing a shelter, but could you just kind of touch on that subject yeah. for a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I always bring my own tent and, and you never, you mean, a lot of outfits up North, they're not going to be using tents that are as well-made as ours or focused on weight reduction. Uh, that's kind of first and foremost. And then, you know, you think about a tent that's used up north, um, some of them will go, you know, they'll use a tent for multiple years. So you don't know if it's going to leak. You don't know if it's if it's got a problem. Um, it could be a, a problem they didn't even know existed but was created from the previous client or, the, you know, something that, that happened on a previous hunt. And so you you may end up with a tent that leaks. And like I said, you, you know, some of the tents that I've, that I've seen that the outfitters are using aren't the most modern tents or, or not the most expensive tents out there because they go through so much gear on, on outfitting clients. And then for me, I like to have my own space at night. I sleep better without somebody next to me. And um, having the ability to lay out, lay out my gear in my tent at night, let things dry, having my own, my own space to, to move around and not worry if I'm waking somebody up. And just, I just have a, a better experience having my own, my own tent and sleeping in my own tent. And those are kind of the reasons why I always bring my own. No, it makes total makes total sense. The uh, you know, and which how which tent do you select for what kind of trip? Maybe talk about how you select your tent, your shelter. Tent. Sure. Yeah, for for my sheep hunts up north, I'm always, I'm typically bringing our our Mountain Star. Our, I don't in in the Northwest Territories, you you probably don't need the Storm Star. Although your late season hunt may be something to consider because of the snow. But as far as you know, that particular tent, it's really storm worthy. And can handle, you know, high winds, you know, I've put it in some really terrible conditions and situations that it's, that it's withstood. So you, durability-wise, um, even with snow loads, that, that two-person mountain star we have is, is outstanding. And it's going to save you a little bit of weight versus our storm star. The only thing you'll run into with that tent is if you get snow, is spin drift blowing in through the internal mesh. And that's where the Storm Star, you know, obviously it has a more robust pull system. It has um, um, some some unique fabric in the X-Pack fabric and the seams for really, you know, terrible storm situations and heavy snow loads. But you shouldn't run into that in the Northwest Territories. I mean, the only thing you might get is some spin drift blown in, which you can just, um, you know, sweep out of your tent and get away what, with what our, is, our Storm Star drift? tent. What is spin drift? It's it's uh, the light snow that the wind will pick up and blow, and it'll blow it. It can, it can blow it underneath your vestibule and into your tent. And I've come back on trips and found you know three inches of snow in my tent because of spindrift blow. Um, the Storm Star tent, 
uh, is designed with a with a layer of a breathable fabric and mesh, so you can zip the breathable fabric up, and it keeps the spin drift from coming inside of your tent. Okay. But I don't gotcha. think, I mean for for that hunt, you you guys will get snow um, mm-hmm. on and off, but I don't know if it's going to be enough to to want to and justify bringing the extra weight of a storm star tent, especially on your sheep hunts. Okay, gotcha. Travis, we learned a new meaning of spin drift. See, Travis and I are also uh, into long range shooting, and so we know we know spin drift from long range shooting, but not blowing snow. Yeah, uh, I'm sure I'm yeah. going to learn a lot more as, as as this goes on. But so yeah. uh, another another, I was just curious, you know, about bears on your any of your trips up there, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, Travis had told Brad and I a story about a grizzly flipping him up up on top of his brother inside a tent that he ended up having to shoot that bear, you know, that had come in there and, and, uh, you know, being, being that we're bow hunting and being that you're not allowed to pack a a pistol into Canada, which really sucks. Um, the, uh, you know, the only weapon I have is is a sharp stick. I don't know. It made me a little nervous, you know, being in my own tent in bear country, but not having a gun, but, uh, I don't know. Yep. Did Did you guys ever have any issues? I, I personally haven't had issues there. Um, I've seen bears, seen quite a few bears there. Um, one of the challenge, one of the downsides of the Northwest Territories is the, the there is no grizzly bear hunting, and so the bears aren't that afraid of people there. And there has been issues with the bears um, being really aggressive. There's been recent bear attacks of, of clients and guides getting killed in, in in that country, and the bears have a tendency in that country to be more aggressive than other areas where they are hunted. And it's something to be very respectful of and be very careful if you get in and around the bear in that country. Um, I know they've had to you know, kill several bears over the years, uh, Arctic Red and other areas that uh, other, other territories or guide territories in the Mackenzies. It's yeah. um, something you need to, to have a lot of respect for and to be thoughtful of, whether you're when you're butchering game, when um, you're traveling through that country, the guide will carry a, a, a some sort of firearm to protect you guys against bears, but it's it's something to, to be mindful of when you're in that country because it is a legitimate threat. Yeah, yeah, would you suggest that that we carry? I mean, Tavis mentioned that we could purchase bear spray from him at, at the headquarters there. Would you suggest we carry bear spray? I would have I would have something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would rather carry a 300, but yeah. at least <laughs> at least I would you know consider bringing bear spray at a minimum. No, I, I I'm. I, I would love to carry a rifle too, but I'm 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 committed to shooting my game with my bow, and I'd hate the thought of carrying two weapons. Uh, sure, I get like that. that but, yeah. yeah, yeah. If he's got bear spray, I would definitely buy a bear spray from him and take it with you. At least you have something. It's better than yep. nothing. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. We we would much rather have a big gun as well. Um, but uh, yeah, like Travis said, I we uh, we look at how much our we've got you know got some lightweight rifles, but still to think we'd be packing that only for bear protection. A lot of a lot of ounces. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely would would recommend bear spray then. Okay. All right, cool. At least at least it'll season you before the heat you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Then we'll taste kind of peppery to him, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that's right. spicy. Yeah. Um well, let, let me ask you about uh, sleep systems now. So, <clears throat> Tavis was 
uh, recommending to Travis and I that for this time period or that we should bring zero degree bags and uh, and we both have have uh, you know y'all's Kuyu zero degree bag. Um, we've got the Thermarest Neo Air X Light pads, and I, I've used that you know on on a, a number of hunts now, and I've really liked that pad. Um, is that is do, does that match up? Like if you were going the same time we're we're going, would you choose a zero degree zero, the zero degree bag, or would you do something different, Jason? For the moose portion of your hunt, the later season hunt, absolutely. If I was sheep hunting, and since I have obviously lots of selection and choices of bags I can take, I would bring a either a thirty or I actually probably on that trip bring a fifteen degree bag for my sheep hunt and yeah. save a pound. Um, but I, you know, that's just because I don't have to spend the money to to buy the, our different sleeping bags. If you know money is no object, you bring a fifteen for your sheep hunt, and you bring a um, a zero degree for when you're doing moose hunts in the later portion of your hunt. Uh, and just swap, yeah, have the zero degree bag in our a moose kit then, yeah. You, yeah okay. That may be something to think about. You know, yeah. it just depends, you know, if you're really trying to shave ounces for that sheep portion of your hunt, which I always do, then, yeah, you, you bring a 15 and you bring a zero. Yeah. Jason, when do you, when do you make the choice to, um, you know, go with a little bit higher you know, a warmer, or I guess the higher temperature rating sleeping bag, a 15 or a 30, but then, you know, be prepared to use your super down to sleep in as well to add added insulation. So, like on my August sheep hunt, I will bring a 30 and my super mm-hmm. down jacket, or now I'll bring my super down ultra jacket and my super down ultra pant. Yeah. And, and that's just, you know, that's obviously for sitting on ridges glassing, but I also sleep in that as well at night if it gets cold. And I'll end up, I may have had trips where it's gotten really cold I'm in a 30-degree bag. I'll put on not just super down, but, you know, I'll put them, start layering up my whole system. I've even slept in everything I've brought, including my rain gear, then got my sleeping bag. It's gotten so cold on a, on a couple of different trips I've been on. But um, <laughs> yeah. one nice thing about sleeping your super down is easy to get out of the bag in the morning. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then when you get, I mean, one of the nice things you'll see, you'll discover hunting up north, maybe you experienced this before in BC and Alaska when you guys have hunted up there, but, you know, you don't get up at daybreak and start hunting. You get up, you know, you tend, tend to sleep in, you get up, you have an hour or two to have breakfast and coffee in the morning, and then you pack up and, and start on your hunt because the day is yeah. longer. And yeah. That, that part of sheep hunting I actually really enjoy. And it's nice <laughs> to be able to get up in the morning, you're in your super down, you throw on your boots, you go out and you have coffee and then... Uh, you know, you know, you don't have to get dressed in the morning. It's it's pretty convenient. Yeah. Speaking of coffee, what's your favorite coffee to take into the backcountry? I bring the Starbucks, those little Via Instants. Okay. All right. Yeah. Gotcha. If you don't like if you don't like brown water, I recommend bringing those. In your, that you guys pack your own because <laughs> the instant coffee they will pack you isn't isn't all that great if you like good coffee. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of a coffee snob now, so yeah, I'll, I'll want to have some good yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And those are great because you know one or two packets, and and you, know, you got a great cup of coffee, and um, you don't have to you know bring in grounds or anything else. It's it's kind of a, a a guess on how much you need. Yeah, do you do you take your own stove or, or just use the guides? I don't. I use the guides. Um, no, I shouldn't say that. If if well, it depends where I'm hunting, and it depends if they have canister fuel. If I know they have got canister fuel at base camp, I'll bring my own um, little pocket rocket 
keep mm-hmm. my pack, and then in the mornings, what's nice is you know I'll roll over in my vestibule and, and start a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And I bring yeah. a little, I bring a small aluminum um, mug mm-hmm. with me, and then you know you roll over, you you put your coffee on the stove, you turn on your stove, and it warms up the inside of the tent. It's kind of nice. Yeah, absolutely. If you have yeah. condensation in there, it'll help dry out the inside of the condensation of the tent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what uh, Tavis does have canisters up there, so you, if you bring your own small stove, yeah, you could you could grab a okay. canister from him. Yeah. All right. And would would you? And would a one? How long would one canister last you? How many days? He uses the biggest, the big ones, and so for me, how little I use it. For just the mornings making coffee and sometimes breakfast if the guides aren't up uh, up before them, you know it'll last mm-hmm. you. you know, it'll last you a couple of weeks. Oh gosh, okay, yeah, it'll, yeah, almost the whole time. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, we're talking about you know if it's really cold, put stuff in your bag. When, do you do you put your um, if it's if your boots are a little bit damp at night? Uh, do you stick them in your sleeping bag, or do you leave them in your tent with you, or what do you do with? Uh, with my, I usually put my boots, leave my boots in in the vestibule. You're okay. not going to be able to dry your boots off, and and put them in the bottom of your bag would just make a mess out of your bag. Yeah, gotcha. I will put yeah. my wet socks, anything else in my bag to dry. It doesn't. Yeah. Okay. Or you sleep, yeah. or sleep in it. You know, if you got damp base layers, I'll just sleep in it and wake up. They'll be dry. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What waterproof stuff? sack uh works best for each of the bags uh let me think about that i think the large fits the zero the medium fits the 15 and the small will fit the 30 okay yeah and those work great they're designed yeah. to fit each different temperature rated bag okay awesome, awesome. and then okay. i also everything i put in my pack is in a dry sack so okay. extra clothes um you know anything that you're going to be wearing, any type of apparel. I I bring a separate stuff sack for my super down products, uh-huh. and those always will stay in my pack every day. Okay, because they can save your life on the mountain. Um, yeah, my right. Gear, yeah, my ring gear, I won't. Yeah, my ring gear, I won't put into the stuff sack, obviously. But everything right. else, any extra spare clothes, any extra spare jackets, um, anything that you don't want to get wet, I put in there. Okay. Yep. So if you fall in a river or you don't get your rain cover on in time, your pack gets soaked, you don't have to worry about what's inside. Yeah. Or if you're making a stock on something, you know, you don't want to have that rain cover on and having it drag through brush. Right. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Great. Okay. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna change gears again here and, and uh I wanna I wanna talk about optics real quick and then Brad's gonna we're gonna jump into the clothing and all the all the gear and kind of sure. layer by layer by layer. But uh first of all in optics, you know, I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are? I mean, just tell you what we're what we we're running like a ten by forty two HDR the binos with the rangefinder in it, and they yep. do the angle compensation for us. And we've we've done a good bit of shooting up and down steep slopes to test them to make sure that they work well with our bows, and they do. And uh, so, a you know, is a ten power you know ten by forty two bino a good choice uh, for for the trip as far as binos? It would be, yeah. That's what I bring too. I, except I use uh, Swarovskis and, and I use the laser rangefinder as well in theirs. Okay, yeah, okay, perfect choice. Yeah, going up any higher in power, it's just hard to keep them steady. I've tried twelves yeah. before to try to get some extra power, but you really need to be sitting down or having them on a tripod. Okay, well let's talk about that. Ten so powers I, are great. I love I love running my binos off a tripod, and you know I, 
wanted to talk about spotting scopes, tripods, but do you, you know, do you, what's your tip? I mean, your system. I saw when you, you know, on your packout video, you know, you had your binos, you had your spotting scope, you had a tripod. I didn't think, I didn't see something on there where you would have an attachment system for your, you know, binos to go on your tripod. Yeah, when I'm using tens, I don't. Now I may pull my tripod up and rest them on it and use it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, just it just depends on on how you like to to mount your your binos to your tripod. If you, I mean, obviously you you can do that. I I've just found that with tens, if I can just extend my tripod and rest them on there, it works fine for me, and I don't need the adapter. But that's mm-hmm. kind of gotcha. personal preference. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. If I'm using tens, absolutely. Or if I'm using twelves or anything or fifteens, I absolutely use an adapter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. That that makes sense. So what? One of the dilemmas that I'm running through right now, Jason, is you know knowing knowing that I want to keep everything as light as I can. Uh, the idea of taking my own spinoscope and tripod, which I have a, a Swarovski 65 millimeter, um, and uh, I've got a really nice uh, slick carbon fiber tripod, lightweight tripod system and stuff. And um, you know, I, I really would. I, I know you know when I hunted with Jay for sheep this past year. I just can't imagine the thought of having done that hump without my own tripod mm-hmm. and scope because such a, a big part of the experience was glassing, like sitting there and actually like, oh, hey, there's some sheep. Okay, we check out this, while we get in the scopes. And, I mean, if Jay, I, I mean, obviously if we're looking at, you know, it's me or Jay that's going to look at it, and I've never seen a sheep in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm going to want Jay to tell me what he thinks of it. So it would have done me a lot of good to look at it because I want to shoot pretty much everyone I saw. Which Jake can certainly testify to. <laughs> the, uh, but you the, like uh, the running joke. You, li- you liked having your own spotting scope, so you, we could, you know, half of it was visual of the of the hunt. Was ha- half of the entertainment was watching the sheep too. So yeah, the, like sure. so much of the experience of the hunt was actually watching it myself. I, you know, I had a phone scope, you know, and I, I was taking pictures and video, and it just man, it. I can't imagine going back and doing that experience without having my own spotting scope and tripod. But on this one, I know it's going to be a lot more painful to pack it around than it was on that trip because we were kind of like day hunting in and out from a base camp. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good it's a dilemma for sure. Um, you know, if it's Brennan and I hunting together, one of us will have a tripod and spotting scope. If I'm hunting just myself with a guide, I'll always have a tripod and spotting scope, just for the reasons you're saying. And you know, some of the guides just don't have the money to spend on great optics. And so you might have a guy with an old beat-up Nikon spotting scope. He's used to it, but you yeah. look through it, it just dry, it drives me nuts. I like having my own optics. Well, what if, I mean, I'll I bring like a 65-millimeter Suaro is what I'll bring on a backpack sheep hunt versus like the 95. Think... Oh, you'll switch to 95 when? No, versus like a 95, which I'll use on you know hunts that aren't you know 10-day or 12-day backpack sheep hunt. I'll use a 65-millimeter right. scope on those hunts, and it's, it's plenty. Okay. So one of the one of my one of my ideas was obviously to take my stuff and then just suggest to the guy that maybe that we just share my scope and tripod setup uh, to save weight. Uh, the guy will, the guy will want to bring his own. He will. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, but it's fine. You know. It's nice to have your own. And I've had a, I mean I've had situations where you know I wasn't with the guide where I spotted sheep and and needed my spotting scope to identify him and you know, my second trip to Arctic Red he was busy skinning a, a caribou I'd just shot, and I went up on a, on a knob and, and located a ram, and we ended up killing him the next day, and hadn't I had my spotting scope, I wouldn't have been able to decide how big he was or whether he's worth hunting the next day. I just like oh, having right. it. Yep. And some days, yeah. you know, some mornings you might get up before the guide, mm-hmm. and you might see sheep or animals, and you want your spotting scope. I just like having it. 
No, yeah, I think it's absolutely time. worth the extra weight. That's okay. kind of the direction I was leaning to, and I just need to not be an ounce-counting weenie too much here and, and, I, and really take that. It sounds <laughs> like some ounces that I really want to take. It is. Yeah, I, I've never regretted bringing mine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good to know. <clears throat> uh, all right. So we're ready to, to get into uh, the clothing, and I guess my first question for you, Jason, and – I don't know. This it may not. This one may not matter much. But just curious um, for that area up there, that time of year. Do you think the Vs or the Verde 2.0 is a, a better camouflage pattern? Either are great choices. Yep. The Verde 2.0 is a little bit more versatile, especially you're hunting uh, moose down in that lower country. But it honestly, they they both work incredibly well in those conditions and that in that ter- in that terrain. I mean, yeah. the VS in the rocks, you can't, but the, it, it looks just, you can't see people in it. But, uh, you know, either choice would be fine. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, we figured it probably doesn't matter either way. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to go through the, the you know, the, the full layering system and sure. just talk about kind of what we're thinking and then what, and see what your recommendations are and start with base layers. Um, you know, our, and we've been, you know, wearing the merinos for for years now, and we we love how we can wear the merinos for so long, and they don't stink. I I I think I've, I've I may have mentioned this to to Jay, but when we got back from Alaska, I, I'd worn uh, a merino 145 zip tee, you know, for like 10 days straight, and when I unpacked my gear, actually, like, you know, put it in my wife's face, and I said babe, can you tell me, is this dirty or clean? And she, like, took a big sniff, and she was like, I think it's clean. And I was like, I wore that shirt for 10 days straight, you know, and then she got mad at me. I wasn't too happy about that, yeah. No, yeah, she wasn't, but it's just awesome. Um, and so, um, so, I mean, from what, when do you make the choice to go from, you know, the, the Merinos to the uh, Peloton? You know, both are great choices, and, and there's, there's, I don't know if there's a better choice between one or the other. I think a lot of it's personal preference. Yeah. You guys just don't like the, the, the feeling of Merino against their skin. The one thing I, I don't like about Merino personally is how long it holds moisture and how long it stays wet versus the Peloton. Yeah. And that's the only downside to it in, in, in how I look at it. The advantage is obviously with the carotene protein that makes up Merino wool, it's antimicrobial by nature, so it, it, you know, it's going to stay cleaner. It's not going to have an odor, and um, you know that's that advantage to to merino. I mean, the the downside to it's a it's a hydrophilic fiber, so it's going to pull moisture into the fabric. It's what it's how it functions to keep your you dry when you're wet is it's pulling moisture off your skin into the fabric, but yeah. because of that, then it holds the moisture. And for me, I've really started to to spend and choose the Peloton for most of my hunts just because I like a drier fabric against my skin and the Peloton because it has no elastic in it I mean, dries incredibly fast. And, you know, like I said, I hunted for years in Merino uh, wool on these sheep hunts and it's just the last couple of years that I've switched to Peloton really for personal preference. But if you like Merino, you're used to it, that, that's a fine choice for this trip. Yeah. <clears throat> would you Would you take the... Like if if going with merino, would you choose the one forty five zip 
zip-offs, or would you go uh, with the heavier weight for the like the sheep hunt? And then what would you do like in the moose moose kit? Yeah, for for me, what I, what I do on <clears throat> on the merino is I'll take a crew T-shirt, so either a one twenty-five or one. 45, that time of year, I'd probably go with a heavier one. And then I'll bring a 145 zip tee. And what I like that is I can wear the crew tee as my main shirt. The zip tee, if, I, if it gets wet, I can switch into the zip tee during the day. Or mm-hmm. if I need to add additional warmth, I can throw the 145 zip tee over the 145 crew and use it as a, as a you know, part of my layering system. Yep. And then for the, for the kind of the mid-weight choice – what I've gone to instead of the, the Merino 210 is the Peloton 200 just because it's lighter and warmer and dries yeah. faster. And that's what I recommend on the bottoms, too. I'd put you in, I'd recommend the 145 um, zip-offs on the bottom and then the, the Peloton 200 for the zip-offs to go over those for the later portion of your hunt. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, that makes, makes great sense. But you would, you would also add in the, the insulation layer then, too, as well. Of course, yeah. For like for the the super down or the keen eye, I would for up there, no question, super down. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, it's just you know you're going to spend a lot of time sitting behind glass, and super <clears> down <throat> weight to warmth ratios, you know, far superior to that of of keen eye, just a warmer okay. product. And then the other jacket you may consider for your later hunt is the super down pro that's coming out. And it'll be out before your hunt, and that has twice the amount of down as our super down. It's just a really, really warm jacket. And you know, towards the end of that September, you're going to get some really cold conditions at night and in the mornings. And okay. having that extra insulation, at least on the jacket, maybe something to think about having flown in for your for your moose hunt. Gotcha. Okay. Not mandatory, well, awesome. but it is nice to have a really warm down jacket. Not even necessarily to hunt in, but just either sit in the glass. Or um, you know, in the mornings and and at night. Jason, do you happen yeah. to know, Jason, do you happen Jason. to know what the weight is going to be on that Super Down Pro yet? It's still super light. I think it's like fifteen or sixteen ounces. Okay. Wow. And then when you were talking about the Super Down earlier, you were talking about the Ultra. You were talking about the 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 new Super Down, right? Uh, yeah, I would. I would. I'm. Yeah, 40%, actually, obviously, forty percent less weight, right? It is, yeah. I mean, uh, Super Down Ultra now is like, I mean, depending on your size, is like six ounces to seven ounces. Yeah. Don't worry, Jay. <laughs> Don't worry, Jay. I've already bought it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. great. I mean, we, we we picked up all that weight savings as the new fabric technology from Tori, and it didn't give up. And it's just as strong and as durable as the Super Down. It's amazing. Wow. That's awesome. So would you, like, so for a, for a jacket on, like, a sheep hunt, would you would you still take like a Kenai jacket as well as a Super Down jacket, or would you choose a different jacket to take? I would choose a different jacket. Okay, and you don't need two. You won't need two layers of insulation. Okay, and would I would do choose either. Like, I would either do a guide jacket, or if you want to really count ounces, I like the two forty Peloton two forty because it has you know has the yeah. wind resistance in by construction how they bond uh-huh. the fabrics together, and that's a lighter choice, probably a more versatile choice, and that'll block wind. And so you can throw, if it gets really cold, you, you, know, you can throw that over your, your base layer system, and, mm-hmm. or you can put your super down on it and throw that over the top to just give you more, more protection. And then, uh, I, you yeah. know, again, then I use my shell over the top of that. Okay, gotcha. 
that makes yeah, sense. Either, either of those would be fine choices. The guide jacket's going to be a little bit warmer, a little more robust, uh-huh. and um, more versatile as far as in the weather. So yeah. either of those yeah. choices would be great, but the 240 just weighs a little bit less, a little more versatile. But not yeah, not quite, it's quite a bit less in weight than the guide jacket, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's quite a bit. I've, I've weighed them out, too. Um, so the uh, Jason, to review real quick. So like on your on your top, you would you would run a uh, probably like a 145 T, then a 145 zip uh, long. Correct. Tee. Yep. And then you would probably your next layer might be the Peloton 240. It, and then it would, would be the no, it would be the Peloton 200, and I like the hooded one. Uh huh. The hooded one. Okay. Okay. Yep. Because you can pull it, you pull would, it up over your head where you're sitting in glassing and you don't need a beanie. Um, and then you would also take then you would take the super down or the I'm sorry, the Superdome Ultra, and then the Peloton 240 as well. Correct. I would. Okay, and that, and that would be your, range, your range shell, obviously. But yes. That would be your top your top layering system for the sheep hunt. It would be. Yeah. Jason, again, which ones would you get, which pieces would you get with hoods? Obviously, your range gear has a hood. Yeah. I, you know, I pretty much always bring a hood on all my products up north. Okay. If I have a choice. Okay. Um, all right. Sometimes you know you get all the hoods going, and it seems and it's kind of feels like there's a lot, but you know most of the time you're not going to have them all on at one time. Yeah. And it's, and when you're up north and it's blowing hard on a ridge, and it's a nice spell to pull those hoods up. Okay. The wind coming coming down your back. If you yeah. were going to choose one not to bring a hood on, you may either you may think about the 200 and not get bringing a hood on that if you're just worried about having too many hoods. But the nice thing about the 200 is if you're hiking. It's a great layer to have over your merino, and then you know if if it gets cold or you get some wind up your that's blowing on your back, you can throw that hood up. Um, makes it kind of convenient. But yeah, uh, yeah. Choose one, maybe not to choose not to have a hood on. Maybe this is two hundred. Okay, all right. But you'd have it on like the super down on absolutely. Yeah, and then on the the uh, two like the two forty. Yep, um, I would with the hood. Yep. And obviously the guide jacket has has a hood if we went that route. Okay. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Let's talk about pants. Uh, so, um, what, what? Which which piece? Travis and I, I'll tell you right now. We we love the knee pads in the in the alpines and the and the chinooks. And it seems like as bow hunters, we do so much of our stalking, you know, we'll end up on our hands and knees. And so many times we end up shooting game from a kneeling position. Sure. And uh, what, what do you think from the time that when we're going to be there, what are, what are the best weights? What best pieces? Sure. I would, I mean, I would recommend, you know, on the bottom, like we talked about with uh, the base layers, um, the 145 zip offs and the 200s. And then I would bring the, like, if you like the Alpine pant, that'd be a great choice. I wouldn't okay. probably choose the Chinook. It's a little bit heavier. And it's a bonded fabric, and I don't think you'll need, with having the, the base layers you're going to bring, you won't need that extra warmth of the Chinook. Okay. Uh, you're going to want the versatility that the Alpine will give you. Okay. And that's That would be a great choice. You're definitely going to need the Yukon Gators. Yep. Guys, make sure to catch part two, episode number 303, a continuation of all of the gear talk with Jason Harrison and the Weist brothers. Thanks for listening.